As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Thanks for joining another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. It is your host, John Cutton, struggling with an awful cold today. So, uh, Bear with me, but the good news is instead of having just one guest today, I have two, uh, so therefore I should have to do even a little bit less uh, less talking uh, than usual. So uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited uh, for our guest today, and I have the opportunity uh, to be on John Deal uh, and Julie Jenjack's podcast uh, over at Hartford Funds. I guess maybe two or three months ago, we recorded a couple of episodes Uh, And now I get the opportunity uh, to turn the tables on the two of you. So uh, formally, uh, John Deal is a senior vice president of Hartford Funds, uh, and Julie Jenjak is the vice president and managing director of Applied Insights at Hartford Funds. So I am really excited to have both of you here today, and we're going to talk a little bit um, about leading financial services teams in the industry and small little changes, right, that can ultimately lead to very, very large uh, results. And both John and Julie uh, have had the opportunity to work with some of the best teams in the industry. And we're going to learn a little bit about some of their insights uh, from working with those teams. So uh, why don't I throw it uh, first to you, Julie, to say a quick hello, and then we'll give the conch to you, John, and then uh, and we'll get into it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, John, for having us here. It's great to be back with you and to come full circle and and to talk about a topic that uh, I am very passionate about, which is teams. And uh, I'm I'm fortunate as a registered corporate coach and a certified advanced corporate coach to be able to have conversations with teams, as you said, across the country, day in and day out about about their team. And as you know, we hire employees and humans walk through the door, right? So we have these groups of humans that we're trying to bring together to deliver an amazing client experience. And it's hard. And we don't have the luxury of stopping the markets, of stopping client requests, of stopping our our personal lives. And so all of those pieces continue to run and, and run quickly. And especially these days with volatility and and as we approach the end of year, all of those little things like deadlines and maybe the holidays, you know, just sprinkle those in. And before you know it, it is really, really busy. And so one of my favorite conversations to have with teams are, 
what are those really small adjustments that some of the most high performing teams have made that if implemented and executed consistently, and the consistently is the key word, John, as you know, oh, yeah. um, that can really pay off and have a big impact over the long run. And so that's really why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today, because I truly believe that there are many of those things and not everyone will apply to every team. As you know, you'll listen to this list and you'll say, you know what, 90% of this we've done, but there is that one thing that we might be able to take on, on our behalf and carry that one to execution. So I think that's why I'm really passionate about this because that there are those, those minor adjustments that don't necessarily take a significant amount of time, but it's that focus and that intentionality. Yeah, love it. I can't wait to uh, to dig in. I, I just need like a half a thing, just a little half a thing, and that will, uh, that will work for me. Um, fantastic and uh, and super well said, Julie. John, maybe you could say a quick hello uh, to our audience as well. Hi, everybody. And John, thanks for having us on today. You know, it's interesting in our day jobs, aside from the work that Julie and I do on our podcast, we're meeting with teams across the country on a daily basis. We'll do uh, upwards of 200 to 300 individual meetings with clients and with advisor teams. And so we get to see them all. We get to see some of the best teams. We get to see some teams that have just recently come together. Uh, and we also get to see, John, what happens when, uh, unless there's intentionality on best practices within a team, especially the title of your podcast, Quantum Growth. If we're experiencing quantum growth, there oftentimes can be quantum slippage. And by that, I mean, you know, the things that made us want a team in the beginning and, and we were really good at, well, business started to grow. We've added a couple of more people. Some people have rotated off and before long, uh, it's been a while before we sat down and really communicated our team vision with one another. So I hope on today's podcast, Julie and I will be able to share a little bit of what we've observed. And I think the most encouraging thing is what Julie said. We're not asking teams to turn things upside down. It's usually a matter of re-examination and identifying those small practices that can have large impact. Yeah, love it. Super, uh, super well said. I, I heard you guys say uh, two words uh, that I use a lot, right? So one was intentionality, right? Being intentional, which um, we all think we're intentional, but very few of us spend enough time kind of stepping away, right? And working on that in the business. So I think... Uh, we're in a, you know, direct alignment there. And then the second is those humans, right, Julie, those pesky little humans that yes. stand in the way of your vision, which uh, is really difficult. So I, you know, I'll just share as a funny aside, um, you know, we're in, as this episode releases, just for our listeners, we're recording this in November. We'll likely release this sometime, I believe in, de in December, we'll see. So for many of our listeners, they're in the midst of, you know, business planning for 2024. Um, so we started that process. We start early because we try to be very intentional. And I had uh, about 30 folks, uh, my key leaders from around the country, uh, out here to New York about two weeks ago. And um, we were having kind of the beginning of, uh, of a, a business uh, planning meeting for 2024. And we're kind of looking back at 2023 and, uh, and how we, how we kind of did and where we think we should be more intentional going forward. 
And I was sharing, guys, you guys just like the story, a whole bunch of uh, vision, right? And um, talking about some of the new things that I was working on and some things that we were building, kind of some some different kind of 10x type thinking things. And if you could picture it, we were, we were in a U, right? And I was at the front of the U uh, by the screen and, you know, everybody else, you know, if you could picture me, I was like the, the very top of the U. And I was, I was sitting sideways and I kind of turned around to the whole group after I was painting them this outrageous vision of all these other things that we're doing. And I'm like, uh, so here's the deal, guys. I just uh, bought a minority interest. This is a joke, by the way, now, right? But in a business and what they do um, is they actually create um oh what's the word i'm looking for not not avatars but um oh my god i'm forgetting the own word what is it when you uh when you can create like uh a, a like a, a fake person but like a real person you know what i'm talking about um oh my goodness alibi uh, yes exactly right a hologram a hologram yes so thank you john a hologram so I turn around to my 30 people or whatever, and I'm like, guys, so here's what we're going to do. These advisors are so hard to lead. So I bought a minority interest in this company, and we're going to build holograms, and we're going to teach all the advisors exactly what to say as a hologram, and we don't even need advisors anymore. And I kid you guys not, for about probably 30 seconds, I was like stone cold, like face, like no joking. And uh, they were all looking at me like, oh my God, did this maniac actually buy this 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 company that does this? And then I, I let him know it was a joke. But man, if we could, Julie and John, right? Uh, remove, remove those humans, that would be absolutely amazing because they are difficult to lead. So anyway, I had, to, I had to share that story. I was thinking about it. That's priceless. Um, it and you know, some will tell you that day may come. You never, you never know, right? That it's day, so true. That day could come. I don't think it will, uh, where we'll ever be replaced as advisors. But uh, it's uh, it's interesting time. So um, I'll start with you, Julie, ladies first, right? So tell us um, just a little bit more about kind of what what you know. I I guess your role itself, you get to meet so many advisors. It kind of gives you this. Um, you know, this this kind of insight, right? And this lens into what goes on in the world. So what are the things that you, you're seeing out there? And as you think about some of those takeaways, maybe you can start with, uh, you know, one or two, whatever you think, we'll kind of yes. have a little dialogue there. Absolutely. And really, John, I mean, it, it, the genesis of this was, you know, teams saying, you know, truly, what are what are other teams doing? You know, just, just tell me, what are they doing? And so I think if we kick off there, you know, one of the things, and I think it's so perfect given the timing of this conversation, I at one of the questions that I ask teams in a coaching call is, do you have any cut and paste items on your business plan that you just can't seem to cross off where you just sort of cut and paste them from one year to the next, or even on your to-do list? You know, it just you, you kind of create whether it's quarter to quarter, year to year, and typically there's a little smile that's cracked and the head nods, and there's like, yeah, there's a few of those. You know, we've either been meaning to have that client event for the last three years, or we've been meaning to update our website or get that new team photo or whatever it is. There are those cut and paste items that just keep rolling forward. And my next question is. Does one person on the team own that item? And usually there's kind of a, a pause and a blank stare. And, and what I mean by that is oftentimes, uh, you know, I'll be invited into team meetings and I'll just start listening to the dialogue. 
And for the first 10 minutes, I'll just listen. And it's, it's great. And I'll start telling the number of times that I hear the word we said, and, and usually about 10 minutes in, I'll stop the team and I'll say, could you, could everyone pause for a moment? And I want to share with you an observation that I've made. Do you realize that you have said we 67 times in the last 10 minutes? And everyone will look at me and go, no, I guess we didn't, you know, why does it matter? And, and my point is that, yes, we is a wonderful word. It's very inclusive. It's the hallmark of a, of a great, high-performing team culture. However, in all of my 25 years of, of teamwork and coaching and consulting, I cannot figure out how to hold we accountable, right? We should do this. We should do that. We should have a client event. We should update the team website. It is very easy to hide behind we, and we can let each other slide. Well, next team meeting, we should talk about that. We should do that. And so the, the minor adjustment is for any of those cut and paste items or any item that a team wants to actually get done, put a specific name next to that item. Now, I'm not suggesting that, John, if I put your name next to the client event and if I put my name next to the marketing um, update and, John, if I put your name next to the website, that you are the only, we're the only people doing all of the work. I'm not suggesting that by any stretch of the imagination. However, we are the carrier of that project. And when we come together for the team meeting, whoever is leading the meeting is going to say, John, where, where are you on the client event? And you're going to say, well, I have three venue options. Here, here are the questions that I have for the group, or here are the costs, or here are the issues, but you are going to report in versus, oh, we needed to discuss that. We forgot. Let's table that until the next meeting. And I can tell you that teams will call me, teams across the country after making this one minor adjustment of just putting people's name next to those activities, they will literally call me and say, Julie, we have crossed every single thing off of our business plan, the things that have been on there literally for years. We can't even believe it by simply putting someone's name next to it because they knew that they were in charge of it. Otherwise it was kind of the, I don't know, I think John maybe is doing it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Julie's doing it. I, you know, I'm not sure it is unbelievable. And so I would say for anyone that has those items on the list that just can't quite get into execution land, put someone's name next to them and really hold them accountable to, you know, getting those things done and talk about it. I think, and really the feedback I receive from teams is people don't feel like it's a burden. They actually feel like it's a relief because it was always this sort of gray area. I, I don't know if the team, if the team lead wants me to take it, I can't really sense. And so am I stepping on someone's toes? If I offer to take it, it was always this kind of delicate, you know, dance Versus someone just saying, I will own that. I will report in. The clarity is so welcomed amongst teams from leadership and from support staff. Everyone has shared with me that they appreciate that clarity so much. Um, mm -hmm. It's a game changer, not only from getting the work done, but from a team dynamic standpoint. So that's one small change that I would absolutely encourage teams to consider if getting those things crossed off the list has been a challenge in the past. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, we call it in our organization, I've been saying this for 15 years, I call it there's a pop fly uh, to kind of 
shallow right field, right? And it's mm -hmm. the you know center fielder, the right fielder, the second baseman, and the first baseman are all going back for that fly ball, and ball drops in between the four of them. They all look at each other because no one said, I got it. Right. Exactly. No one said I got it. So exactly. uh, if, if you, Julie and John came to my office and started to go the pop fly, everybody's in the office's eyes would roll because I've been using that one uh, you know, for, that. Uh, for quite a long period of time. Um, so couldn't couldn't agree more. And I like the way you kind of put it. Uh, it's a good way to remember it to our listeners. Right. Is, um, you know, we is not necessarily um, being very intentional as to who actually owns it. You think mm -hmm. about right? Jocko Willink, right? The whole kind of concept of extreme ownership, et cetera. Exactly. So John, you know, I'll kind of want to include John in the conversation here as well. Um, so John, is there any methodology um, that you see advisors using out there? Like I've heard, um, whether it be EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, 40X, some other system, or is it really just as simple um, as you know, create creating a spreadsheet or just saying, hey, you know, Johnny or Mary or whoever it may be, this you're going to own this one, right? You got it, uh, et cetera. What do you see out there in the field? I think that's where it starts, John. It, it's that first step of accountability. And two, two uh, kind of added benefits to this we discussion. One is that uh, there are times when the senior leader on a team may want someone in particular to take a task. Right. So now you don't have uh, miscommunication where Julie thought it was her responsibility. But, you know, John's really got the best skills to, to do what that senior leader needs done. So it gives it gives the senior leader some control over the direction of the project. The second thing is gets back to those humans again. You guys were talking about is that if we don't assign it, sometimes there may be jobs that are particularly appealing. Maybe it's a major project and, and you've got competition then on the team, right? So everybody, nobody's sure, but they know it's a high profile project and it can cause some interpersonal issues there versus naming a, naming a lead on a project, uh, asking for contributions from others. But John, I'll share this with you. Um, I was working on a team once where I was the team lead and I thought we, needed to go outside of our capabilities and look for some hired help in a given area. Sure. Well, I really didn't realize it, but I highly offended one of the really valuable members of my team because they kind of thought that was their role. So we were miscommunicating. They thought that I had informally kind of named them in charge of this. I hadn't seen any progress and thought, well, everybody's so busy. So, I'm just going to go out and, and add the talent that we need. And in the midst, had that person and had we not had the relationship where that person could come to me and say, hey, I'm really disappointed in the way this went. Uh, that's not the way it works most of the time. Most of the time that bubbles inside of someone until, you know, you get a year or two down the road and it's always there. And then something happens. There's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And the next thing they, you know, that that valued employee is sitting in your office saying, you know, I think I'm going to accept this new offer. And you're hit by it from right field. Where did this come from? So, uh, you know, taking that responsibility to really, again, begin, I think it begins with assessing the talents on your team and assessing the workload, right? We can't go to the same person 
who we know is very dependable. We do have to take some risks from time to time. But I think it starts with knowing those attributes on your team and being intentional about assigning, as Julie said, uh, those particular tasks. And that way, just the clarity and communication really helps overall. Yeah, super, uh, super well said. So I have like, as usual, half dozen thoughts racing through my mind. You guys have interviewed me before, so you know how uh, <laughs> how I can get. So um, I guess, you know, I'll throw this out to, to either of you. So as John's speaking here, you know, part of, you know, part of what I hear him saying is a lot of it is about communication, right? It's about communication and ultimately being in a position that you're clear um, because again, uh, as you said, John, listen, uh, sometimes you're not, you were, you were fortunate in your example where the person spoke to you about it. Then you gave him a better example or a, a more realistic example, which is they came to your office and said, Hey, I think I'm going to resign. Um, the worst example is you get a resignation letter and they've already accepted another position. And now you've got somebody who is a valuable uh, person on your team uh, that, you know, has already made the decision unknowingly you might have offended them or uh, not known uh, that they had this skill set or this desire to do it. So how do you how do you find top practices out there are um, like in, in my world, I call it a woody woofy, right, which stands for what do you want for yourself? That's a process we go through Are are bigger teams out there um, that are kind of venturing into this leadership role, because that's really what it is. Um, are you finding that the best teams have a process to understand the career track and the skill set that the the team that they ultimately lead have, or you know how do, how are they communicating around that? Would I guess be the question. Julie, you want to start with that one? Sure, I would say that they're getting better at it. You know, I think. John, as you know, it's been a process, right? You have a lot of amazing financial professionals that have been great asset gatherers and rainmakers that have been put in leadership positions and all of a sudden are leading all of these humans. And I think it's really evolved nicely. And so I do think that those lines of communication have opened on many of the most high-performing teams and they are having these great conversations about what what do you want? What is your career path and trajectory? And what are your skill sets? I think the key is having the conversations about frustrations immediately as they happen and not letting things fester. And that is that is something that I will swing from the rafters for every day that I work in this industry talking mm -hmm. about. Because as we know, it is that and, and it almost always happens with the smallest things. And, and usually in my coaching, it's almost half, oftentimes it has to do with how um, team members introduce each other. And oftentimes it has to do with maybe how the slightly more senior advisor introduces maybe a slightly less senior advisor. It's not even maybe the junior, but maybe someone with a little bit, and they introduce them in a way that maybe makes them have a little bit less credibility. Yep. And it happens once and they don't say something. And then it happens a second time in front of a client or prospect and a third time. And this goes on and on. And then someone just explodes right. versus the first time it happens after the meeting, just pulling them aside and saying, you know, John, could we, could we maybe role play or just hash out a little bit about how you're introducing me? I'm feeling like it's making me, you know, maybe diminishing my, my tenure in the industry and maybe my skill set a little bit. Can we just talk through that a little bit? I'd love to maybe work that out a little. Um, I want to make sure that we're giving me enough credibility in the eyes of clients, because as we know, once we've taken credibility away from me, it's very hard to ever earn it back. 
but it festers and festers and festers. And then that's when I get the call from someone sitting on the roll of paper towels in the supply closet on their cell phone saying, I've about had it and I'm going to explode right. because if they yeah. introduce me like that one more time, I'm, I'm literally going to blow a gasket. Sure. And yeah. so, I, you know, yes, I think about all the time. How many times do we hear advisors introduced as, oh, uh, John's the new guy on the team or yeah. Julie's yes. oh, yeah. yeah, just sitting in and taking notes or observing. Yes. Nothing, oh. nothing about how I got to the team, no. No. About especially on the team. I always just, just I'm the new guy. As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. You know, as you guys are speaking, um, one word keeps coming to my mind, two words keep coming to my mind, right? One is it's trust in the culture, right? Yes. So ultimately that what you're calling, uh, you know, those who are uh, on video, I'm doing quotes, by the way, air quotes. Um, but, you know, the, the quote unquote uh, junior associate or mm -hmm. slightly less tenure mm -hmm the new guy or the new right. gal, as you're describing it, you know, I think about it what the way I've learned it and we kind of teach it in our culture is creating trust in the culture so that you can have a culture where you could lead up, down or sideways, right? And sometimes it's hard for that new guy or gal in the organization whose feelings are hurt because, you know, maybe it was me who didn't introduce them the right way, unknowingly, of course, because nobody's right. intention uh, to do that. But these darn humans, Julie and John, have feelings and emotions and it's crazy, right? Um, but um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how does that person not, right? And how do you build a culture so they don't wind up in the supply closet? I love that uh, visual you gave sitting on a roll of paper, ta paper okay. towels calling uh, that person, in many cases, it might be you to say, well, how do I deal with so-and-so he or she is such a jerk and they treat me so poorly, et cetera, when it wasn't so-and-so's intention, but they just don't see it or know better because they're, they're a new leader themselves, probably. Right. So one, one tool that I think is very underutilized in our industry and that I've been really trying to encourage teams to use is whatever behavioral assessment that teams use to come together. And I find that, you know, most teams have, have one, I, you know, whatever it is, whether it's disc or Colby or strengths finder, it really doesn't matter what the letters or numbers are, but most often there was an assessment used, sure. but oftentimes it's used during the coming together process. And, you know, everyone gets their results and they kind of have a chuckle thinking, Oh, was there a camera in my office? He, 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 this is so accurate in so many ways. And, you know, you use it and it's sort of a one, one shot deal. And then you toss it into a drawer. 
I mean, and I, for the most part, teams go, yep, that's exactly what happened. 18.72 months ago, we did that. We tossed it in the drawer and we never thought about it again. And I say, pull that back out. Why are we not using that as part of our everyday communication? Let's look at the stressors because what are we every day as humans? We have things that are stressing us out. Let's look at the way that we approach situations. For example, on disc, I'm a D and sometimes I might need to tone that down. Well, someone that's less dominant maybe could say to me, hey, Julie, we're going to be rolling out this project. Could you just hold your D for a moment? Let us roll this out. And so it might be less intimidating for them to use the disc as a framework to say to me, could you just versus them saying, you know, feeling like they're being judgmental. And so I have found that teams that are using their assessment as a communication tool on a daily basis, again, they're calling me saying, this is really working because it's almost like they've got a new language and a framework and it's not me judging you. They're just using the language of the assessment to communicate with each other. It's not like it's coming from them and it's not a personal attack. And so I would say to any team that's that's taken that, dust it off, pull it out of your physical drawer, of your inbox, print it off, put it on your desk, share it with everybody again. Again, it's the perfect time of year to do so, whether it's end of year, beginning of year, refresh yourselves, but use it as an ongoing communication tool. I think you will find it is an amazing way to re-engage with each other in a very professional yet non-confrontational way, especially for those personalities that aren't the most dominant on the team as a way to really say, hey, could I have a, you know, could I get my words in? Could you maybe allow me the opportunity to say my feelings are hurt? Um, in, in a way that isn't just completely crushing to me. Yeah, love it. We we I see a lot of that again. You know, our listeners know I've I've got about a hundred and sixty person firm, right? So, um, just a couple things that I, I want to share. One is common communication is everything. So couldn't agree more. And I don't think it matters what it is, right? We we talk a lot about we call it the five levels of leadership. And, uh, you know, I won't go into it here. I might've even done that on your podcast as I think, I don't remember. I think I did, right? Yes, you did. Yes. When someone just says, Hey, great level two, Julie, or a great level two, John, it just means you're coming to me with a problem, right? Or when someone does a great job and you go great level four leadership, you influence the group around a common cause. Um, everyone in my organization knows what that means. So it's a way to kind of say like, Hey, stop complaining. Um, that's just a problem. Don't come to me with your problems, come to me with solutions, but if you said to someone, stop complaining and come to me with a solution, not a problem, it's offensive. But if you have the context, right, of everyone having that shared communication, it, it ultimately, uh, you know, makes a makes a very big difference. So, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. John, anything that you would share there on the subject? Yeah, what I would say, John, in addition to the assessment tools that Julie mentioned, we do a lot of work with advisors and their staffs talking about what we call your money story. Right. It's understanding the stories of the people on your team. So uh, and, and we put this uh, kind of content together with the aid of a wealth psychologist named Kathleen King Burns Kingsbury and another fellow named Tim Owings. But essentially uh, what we want to get at is what were those turning point moments that kind of in, in your life that kind of impacted 
why you get up every day, why you're so energetic about the business or what you do for clients. And, and we have to think back in our past to think about what happened, how did we respond to it, what did we learn, and how does it change the way we view the world, right? Because those motivators, as we were talking about introducing different people on our team, being able to introduce not only what someone does on the team, but how they came to us. Like, well, what was it about them that made them a perfect fit for this? Because remember, remember, people will forget facts, but they'll remember stories. They'll remember that Julie cared for her grandmother, right, who had dementia for a time. And therefore, she's very familiar with a lot of what families dealing with that have gone through and she can share those experiences. John sold a business. This is actually his second career, right? Any of those interesting nuggets that set people apart because the interesting thing, we laugh about those, those silly humans, but the very positive aspect about those humans is everybody has a story and those stories can appeal to a wide range of our clients. So especially for senior leaders on the team, Understanding the story and how that's impacted people, why it kind of generates passion about what they do, I think is really, really key. And usually when you match the assessment tool with their money story, you get to see how the two can come together. Yeah, super well said. Um, you know, John, I call it the triple E's, right? Somebody's education, uh, experience and environment. Right. Exactly. So we all have that. We, we all have a different path and uh, and different views. And I think that's one of the things that's really difficult. Um, I, I see it with advisors, as I think you said earlier, Julie, that are kind of going from being a practitioner and a great advisor, you know, good at gathering assets and all those things. Some point you get to this spot where you've got to start to lead. And your triple E's, unless you had a different level of experience in some other life, right, weren't necessarily leading people. Because let's face it, most financial advisors started themselves in a insurance organization or a you know a, a wirehouse or wherever it may be, and then they became an independent advisor or an advisor that's managing a, a larger team uh, inside of an employee channel. And they didn't necessarily go through the experience or a training to become a leader. So um, I'd love both of your opinions on this. I think I know the answer. I'm kind of leading the witness, but uh, I've been I've, I've done worse, right? Which is, um, I I'm a huge believer, and I'd be curious at your opinion that if we look ahead in say a decade or 15 years from now, the teams in our industry will be bigger and bigger. There'll be more humans in each business as a whole. Um, and ultimately the number one skill set that I believe very successful advisors will need to either develop themselves or outsource, bring a who in, right? That they bring on their team is the ability to lead uh, a group of humans. Um, and I, I believe that skill set is what will create scale in the, the most successful wealth management businesses uh, in our industry. I'd be curious, I see both of you guys nodding, so I'm thinking uh, you're in agreement, but I'd, I'd love to give either of you uh, a stab at any thoughts on that. Well, I'll just start, John, to say that I think leadership is something that all successful people believe that they're experts in, 
Mm-hmm. And certainly there's a degree of leadership that gets us to that level of success, but we can never think that we've, that we've got it all. And so I couldn't agree more. When you're thinking about taking your practice up another level, right, another notch, it may require skills that you're not familiar with or you don't know about. And so I, I highly concur with your opinion because as these teams get not only larger in size, but more complex in terms of the number of issues that we're trying to help our clients with, it, 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 the talent on the team starts to diversify out. And I think having some of those rock solid leadership principles are really important. And, and again, going outside to look for that talent if, if, they, if it doesn't exist on your team is a wise thing. I don't know, Julie, your thoughts? Absolutely. I think the probably the second most common conversation that I'm having right now is about a role, something like finding a COO type person to join the team. I think a lot of lead advisors have said, I am so passionate about still prospecting and meeting with clients. Like that really is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And frankly, I'm really good at it. And I'm not ready to give that up. And so therefore my team deserves leadership. They need it. I realize that. And so I need someone in kind of that COO type role to lead the team. And I've, I've sort of fought it for years and I'm wrapping my head around it and I need to find that person. And I'm having that conversation multiple times a day with very large teams and I would say that's that's a newer evolution in the last six to 12 months. I would say coming out of the pandemic as teams of putting themselves back together, you know, and I think some of it is a, a product of some teams aren't all back together again, right? Mm-hmm. Some are in the office, some are remote. So teams are just more complex than they were before. There's just so many different moving parts. And I think a lot of team leaders are like, you know what, raising their hands, I, I, I'm, I'm going to... St- I'm, I'm going to step out of this. Someone else can help me. I'm okay with that. And I just want to find an excellent, competent right-hand man or woman to help me lead this so that I can continue to do what I love and that I, you know, do what I do very well, which is bring in assets and meet with clients and prospects. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a completely different role. And, it you know, I, I think of uh, my second baseball analogy today, and I'm not even a baseball, big baseball fan, mind you, but it's it's just because you could you could you were a great baseball player and played in the major leagues doesn't make you a great coach right it doesn't make exactly. you a great manager of a team and there are so many advisors that what their dna is their again triple e is is all about getting the next client and yep. you know kind of most most very successful advisors not all but are quick start and drivers and very much around going out and winning business and that's where they got their, you know, their kind of, you know, oxytocin, if you will, that's where they got their success, their oxytocin release, where um, leading is just different. It's hard. It's different work. And you're leading, I think, you know, John, to your point, to be super successful, you need diversity. And what that means is you're leading different people. And therefore, each person needs a different type of leadership. And it's hard to have that skill and that emotional competency to lead people uh, in in that way, right? And for those who are building the biggest businesses in the industry, they probably have a level of grit and work ethic that 
isn't always matched. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always matched by the people who choose to work for you because they might not have the same level of kind of desire and entrepreneurism as you do. I'd, I'd love to hear if you guys have any thoughts on the, on those topics. I think it's, I think it's exhausting for the lead advisor to try and be something they're not right. We we've, we've talked John with you about this deciding what you want to be. And especially from advisors that start from scratch, that's a lot of times we're just in the day to day. We don't really take a chance to step back and envision, do we want to be the CEO of a large business or do we want to continue being the driver of financial planning for, you know, these clients that we really, really care about. So I think it's really important, not only for the people in your organization, but for the senior leader themselves, because not only will it detract from the business of the team, if the senior leader isn't doing the thing that they're best at, uh, but it will exhaust that leader. I don't know your thoughts, Julie, you talk to a lot of folks. This brings me to something that I talk, I talk about every day is writing down and documenting roles and responsibilities for everybody on the team. And I always say, if I had a dollar for every team that told me, oh, Julie, we know what everybody does on the team. We're good. I would be retired on a beach somewhere right now you know, just, just hanging out. Mm -hmm. But, and I, and I always say that's, you know, that's a great quality of a high performing team with a great culture. Of course, you know what each person does, but I truly believe if you start documenting on paper, what each person's role is from the leader on down, it becomes very clear where there are gaps and overlaps and those gaps and overlaps are crucial. And when teams do this, I get a call very quickly after the exercise and they are stunned by the gaps and the overlaps. And usually there's a lot of overlaps. Three people on the team of a five person team will write down marketing as what they can see, right. see as their primary role and responsibility. And the team leader will say, I'm blown away. And I'll say, well, there's some work to do then on clarifying roles and responsibilities. And so I think it starts right there and then from there, I think it can lead into, okay, what activities energize you and what drain you? And I think that that's where you start to then create that balance and that, you know, that activity of saying, now that's not to be confused with fun. This is work. This is not fun, right? Mm -hmm. that, those are not, not synonymous, but you know, how do we then understand, are there ways that we can, you know, adjust between each activity so that maybe, maybe I'm not completely at zero, zero energy at the end of the day. Sure. Is there something that's just absolutely draining me that I maybe could give to John where he's like, you know what, that actually doesn't drain me. You know, let, let Julie give that to me. I'll give her some other reporting that she loves because she loves spreadsheets. We'll, we'll shift that. And then we can both leave at 50% energy every day. And, and it's those little adjustments where I think from a retention standpoint, from a frustration standpoint, you start to get to that level in within roles and responsibilities um, within your team. That's where team harmony starts to become, I think, a really precious thing. And then the next thing I would say on roles, they're a living, breathing document. Once again, teams will create them, put them in a drawer and not take them out for five years. Well, we grow, we develop as humans, right? We get new, we get new credentials, we get new designations, we learn new life skills. Let's keep those roles out. Let's make them dynamic. Let's adjust them. John might come in and say, you know what, I'm really... 
I've decided I'm really tired of this. This activity now drains me. Well, let's let's have a team meeting. Let's discuss it. Do we have someone new that wants to take that on? Let's keep it dynamic. And I think that's the one major mistake on roles. Well, two, not documenting them first and foremost, and then not keeping them dynamic. And I would so encourage teams to consider, again, making those two adjustments to their roles and responsibilities process. I think that they would find it would bring so much clarity to every member of the team from the leader all the way down. Julie, I just think about the person that's so good at what they do that nobody else on the team ever learns anything about it, right? Exactly. That person feels like, A, they're trapped in the role and he got for that person ever leave for whatever way out. Yep. He has any of the training. So that point about pulling those roles out from time to time and revisiting, even if it's not a total transfer of the role, but a sharing of the role over time, or at least experimenting with others on the team that may see if they're interested in doing that kind of thing. I think it's really valuable for the team. Yeah. Well, one thing I could share is this is really valuable for our listeners. So, um, I, I love everything that you're sharing to our audience. If you can't tell, uh, John and Julio know their stuff and uh, have certainly uh, really been uh, unbelievably impactful in you know sharing what they've learned from talking to hundreds, if not thousands, I'm sure, of advisors over the time. So um, first, I'd like to say at some point, if you two are willing, I'd love to have you back because I think we could go deep into a lot of other subjects uh matters as well and um would you guys be willing to come back for another episode at some point absolutely all you have to do is say teams and i'm there (laughs) (laughs) um so i would i would love to do that i i thought today was awesome for our listeners and i learned a lot as well so um real quick we're we're about out of time here because i get a little carried away as you know but um uh anything that i didn't ask um that i should have uh, today or anything, any final thoughts that, that the two of you might have before we kind of wrap things up? And of course, I'll I'll ask where, where our listeners can find you and all that kind of good stuff as well. So John, I'll add that, you know, Julie and I, really the branding at our company around our podcast is around being human centric, right? And I think, as you mentioned, teams are going to grow in importance and value in the future. And the only way we're going to be able to do that successfully is not only clinically set ourselves up for success, but also we've got to be emotionally involved with the team members, understanding their stories, their attitudes, their capabilities, uh, but really their likes, dislikes. And so it'll only get more complicated. I wish wish it was going to get simpler, but the good news is complication becomes usually because we're experiencing quantum growth in our business. Oh, I like how you tied that in, John. Impressive. I like that. Very well that said. That was nice. How about you, Julie? Any final thoughts? My final thought would be um, that accountability is not informal. And what I mean by that is I often ask teams, you know, who your accountability partner is, and they'll name off someone, you know, a, a maybe a branch or a complex or a divisional leader or even a coach or consultant. And my next question is, does that person know that's the role they're playing for you? And oftentimes there's a pause and a blank stare. I think we have a lot of one-way accountability conversations going on in our industry right now. So for whomever you think is your accountability partner, just formalize that. Just ask them, say, will you please formalize this? And you know, what, what are they helping you accomplish? When are you meeting? 
just, just tighten that up a little bit. I think you will be shocked as to what you will actually accomplish when you ask them and set some, some parameters around that. Again, teams will call me and say, wow, once we formally asked our branch manager and told him we're trying to accomplish X, Y, and Z, and we set, you know, the first Thursday of every month at 4 p.m., we hit seven new metrics because he started actually holding us responsible. And so I think it's an honor and a privilege to be an accountability partner, but I think we make a lot of assumptions that that person knows that that's what they're doing, but we've never actually asked them. So that would be my final thought is accountability is not informal and we have to actually ask. Yeah, I love it. You, you know what the first, the hardest person to lead is usually yourself, right? Yes, you, it is. You know yourself and yes. uh, you have to trick yourself into doing the things that you say that you're going to do, right? So my uh, my partner, Jake, uh, loves to talk about um, keeping and making, I'm sorry, making and keeping meaningful promises, right? And I talk about making and keeping meaningful promises to yourself is how you actually um, generally build confidence, right? If you do the things that you say you're going to do to yourself, you start to believe that you're the kind of person who does that type of thing. Uh, and ultimately, most of us, myself included, concluded, need someone to check in with and and kind of look look in the eyeballs and go, yeah, I didn't do it. Sorry. I, I ate the cookie. I, I skipped the gym. Yes, I did, uh, et cetera. So, hey, guys, thanks uh, again uh, for being here on the episode today. So if our listeners uh, want to find you or your podcast, um, can you just give uh, us, and we'll make sure it's in the show notes as well, uh, where do they find uh, you in the podcast or any other way to find you? Sure. So our podcast is called the Human Centric Investing Podcast. It's a bit of a mouthful, but if you type in Human Centric Investing Podcast, you'll find us anywhere you find podcasts. And that podcast is specifically directed to financial advisors and their teams on a variety of different topics. And Julie, do you want to let everybody know where they can find the team's content that you've helped to develop? Absolutely. At hartfordfunds.com slash teams. Very simple. The queen of efficiency in me wanted a one-stop shop. So hartfordfunds.com slash teams. All content based upon all of the conversations that John and I are having with teams across the country all there in one landing page, including all of these small team changes and big results that we talked about today. That's awesome. So John and Julie, thank you so much uh, for being our guest today to our listeners. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest, uh, shoot us a note and we'll see if we can get you or that special someone on. So make it a great day. And thanks again for listening to another episode. Thank you so much for having us. We so appreciate it. As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com 
forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.